one that is glorified, but your name would be glorified, Lord. You are the focus. You are the reason. You are the center of this church, Lord, not any preacher, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you give me confidence, that you give me passion. And I pray for every brother and sister here today that their minds would be open to receive, Lord, and that they, they would be able to live a life differently with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Good. It's about negative 16 this morning, and so the fact that you're at church is really a miracle, <laughs> honestly. It's a big miracle. Uh, so this week, a little insight into my week. It was uh, chaotic. Anyone else was, was a chaotic week for you? Um, it was just crazy. I came back from New York. I got sick, and then my baby got sick, and then I'm moving, and then my wife is planning to go to college, and we found out we, she might not be able to go to college anymore, and uh, family stuff back home. I mean, just crazy stuff all at the same time. And it's really easy to get overwhelmed, right? Really easy to get overwhelmed by the things of, that the world really just throws at you, right? And so I remember throughout this week, me and Savannah were just really having a hard time moving in because there was just so much heaviness from life, so much heaviness. And so we get to the end of the week yesterday, and I, I look to my wife and I say, we made it, Amen. and it was because of God. Now I want you to remember, sorry, I always get emotional up here. I don't cry at home, but I cry up here. Um, I want you to remember that when God is your center, he will sustain you. I have a couple people that I'm looking at now where life has been hard. And the only thing I know for a fact, if you ask them, is they'll say it was Jesus that sustained them. Today, we're going to talk about the sustaining of God throughout history. And it's really an impactful, impactful message today. And so as I was putting this series together, the first thing that I wanted to put together for this new year was really to start somewhere that was important and personal for me, meaningful to me. And I wanted to use something that constantly reminded me of my calling through my journey of being a Christian uh, that helped me to be reminded of what I believe in and also to remind me of how my church should be run under God. This book of the Bible was foundational for me in my walk with God. Some people call this book of the Bible the most important book in all the New Testament. And I like to add, it should be foundational in your walk as a Christian. Martin Luther said this about the book, It is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel, the absolute epitome of the gospel. John Calvin said, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of not just a small piece of the scripture, but the whole scripture. Samuel Coleridge, English poet and literary critic, said this book is the most profound work in existence. 
Richard Lesky said this book, Beyond Question, is the most dynamic of all the New Testament letters, and it was written at the climax of Paul's apostolic career. This book in the Bible is at the center of almost every major awakening in U.S. history. This book is the book of Romans. In this series titled The God Strategy, which I should have a graphic here, The God Strategy, I, with the support of other preachers, hope to guide you through the book of Romans to discover the God strategy underneath. What is God doing here and why is he doing it? In this series, I have no doubt that you will be challenged, that you will be changed, and you will begin to understand more of what it means to be called a Christian. And I'll add a true Christian, not just a label Christian, a true Christian. The purpose of the message today is to show you that God's strategy within the gospel, Paul, and the primary purposes for the book of Romans as told in the beginning of the book of Romans. And so in our series, when I, when I was talking about how to read the Bible, I don't know if you remember this, but I talked about context. Context, context, context. And what does that mean? It means that we need to understand the background, the backdrop of what's happening here in the scripture. And so what you'll see in churches today is they'll, they'll kind of pick and pull certain scriptures, right? Uh, for example, the one that says that God has plans for you, something like that. I won't say the full thing. God has plans for you. Well, that's not it. If you look before and you look after, the context of that scripture is completely different than what we use it for, right? And so we have all these scriptures that Christians like to pick and pull, but they miss the context, so they miss the true meaning. And so I want to start with some of the historical background of what's happening here as Paul is writing the letter to Romans. And I promise not to uh, bore you. Um, I know history can be boring, but trust me, it's not boring this time, all right? And so in the late 30s, Christianity begins in Rome and comes almost entirely through Jews. Jews are in leadership within the churches, and the church has a very Jewish focus on it, as, as I like to say, a little Jewish spice in it, right? And during this time, Gentiles, non-Jews, which would be us, uh, non-Jews, were also a part of the church, but did not have major roles within it. Now, in 49, Emperor Claudius of Rome is in rule and decides that Jews would be expelled from his empire due to the conflict that was happening between Christian Jews and non-Christian Jews. We don't know if all the Jews left, but we do know enough to make a, it did enough Jews left to make a difference. Now, once the Jewish leaders of the church and the Jewish focus the church had had been removed, had been expelled, right? Because now all the Jewish people have to leave, and so that Jewish spice is no longer there. Who's left to run the church, right? So the Jewish people are told to leave, and who's left to run the church? Well, the ones that didn't have major roles before, the Gentile Jews. 
uh, the Gentile Christians, sorry. And now once the once Jewish focus and led Christian church became something almost entirely different. And it's because the Gentile Christians continued the church with the Gentile focus as their Jewish brothers were expelled from the kingdom. Now, the Jewish people were gone for a total of five years. Five years. Not one, not two, not three. Five years. And so imagine, um, let's give an example. I go into Pastor Jared's house, and he decides that he's called to the mission field. And he says, Aiden, I want you to take care of my house. You could do whatever you want, but the minute I come back, I want it back, right? <laughs> and so let's imagine Pastor Jared, he makes American food. He has like the nice things that Kim likes, the nice rustic um, objects in her house, right? And so I come in and I decide that I'm going to paint the walls bright orange, like my Mexican brothers in Mexico. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint it bright orange, um, I'm not going to make American food because, ew, and then I'm going to make Mexican food every single day. Not only that, maybe Pastor Jared doesn't like that you take off your shoes. He wants you to keep your shoes on. Well, you know what? I'm going to have people, when they come into the house, they're going to take off their shoes, right? <laughs> and so you can imagine everything is different from when Pastor Jared lived there, when Pastor Jared and Kim, because I'm guessing Kim went with them, hopefully, right? <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so, let's imagine I, I, I change the whole house. I change the feel of the house, right? And so, let's imagine you guys visit Pastor Jared's house while he's there, and then it's a completely different feel. He has different rules. He has a different spice to it. And then I come in, and I completely change it, right? I change it to more of a, a Mexican spice, right? And I add little things here and there that are completely different, than how Pastor Jared ran his house, right? And so five years go on. You visit my house, right? All of you, all the church visits my house, and they get used to how I run my house. And now let's imagine Pastor Jared comes back to the mission field, comes back from the mission field for fi- from being gone for five years. What is he going to see? It's different. It's different than how he left it. And not only that, is that he gave me the opportunity to have this house, and now I completely changed it from what he had it to before. And now what's going to happen with Pastor Jared is we're going to bump heads, right? Because I had established something completely different than Pastor Jared did. And now he came back, and what does he want? He wants it to go back to how he had it. Now, why do I tell you this illustration is because this is what happened to the church of the time. The Jewish people had to leave, and now the Gentile Christians were in major roles. And because of that, the Gentiles had a completely different taste. The worship was different. The teaching was different. The focus was different. And so when the Jewish people, the Jewish brothers and sisters come back, what happens? They start bumping heads. Now, in 54, something interesting happens. It's kind of like a telenovela, which means a soap opera. Emperor Claudius of Rome, the person that expelled all the Jews, is murdered by his own wife. He's murdered by his own wife. This is history. He is murdered by his own wife. And who goes into place? His stepson, Nero. And Emperor Nero then decides, you know what? 
I'm going to let all the Jewish people come back from being gone for five years. And what happens is the Jewish people come back to their churches that they established, and it's completely different than how they left it. And so what happens is the Gentiles and the, and the Jewish Christians are now fighting because they're wanting to know what is right and what's wrong. They're saying, nope, that's wrong through their perspective of being a Gentile. And the Jewish people are saying, no, that's wrong through the perspective of being Jewish. And so now what happens is both of these sides are looking through the lens of their own tradition, their customs, and their upbringing, and it's causing conflict. Now, why is it causing conflict? Because they lost sight of the foundation that was Jesus. Opinion had took over the truth, right? And so now, it's 54. This all happens in 54. Now Paul, two years or maybe three years later, is made aware of all this conflict that's going on. And now he's writing the letter of Romans to unite the church and unify it together because it's being pulled apart again from opinion, because of opinion. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to establish what is the gospel? What, is, what do Christians believe and how does it unify us? How does it unify us? And so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to grab the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians and say, listen, let's not look at opinion. Let's look at the truth of Jesus. Because the truth of Jesus will always unite and not divide. Right? The true truth of Jesus will always unite and not divide. And so what happens is Paul is eager to write this letter to the Roman church. And that's where the book of Romans comes together, was this conflict that was going on in the backdrop, right? So I know this is a lot of historical information. Maybe I lost you. That, that's okay. Um, but I want you to understand that there was a motivation to Paul's writing and there's an obligation that he felt from the Lord to unite the church once again. And so why is this one of the most pivotal books in the Bible? Well, it's because Paul is speaking out of his eagerness, his passion to see the church unite once again, right? So you'll hear many people in today's church, they'll, they'll pick and pull from Romans. And so they'll pick and pull from Romans and they'll criticize it or they'll use it for their own purposes to prove a point or some misinterpret it so that it, it helps their opinion. But we must understand the purpose and the context of the book of Romans to really comprehend why it applies to our lives in these modern times as Christians. And so when you try to apply these scriptures to yourself, not knowing the background, you're losing so much more to the story that is important. And so today... I want to dive in with you into the scriptures that are at the very beginning of Romans. And we're going to just pull this apart. I'm going to try to explain it as best as I can. And um, I am really, really excited for this series. And so let's begin in Romans 1, 1 through 7. And this is a lot of scripture that we're going to go over today, but this is church, so that's good, right? And so Romans 1, 1 through 7, Paul 
a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul is trying to do here is strategic because he knows that there's a conflict going on. What does he start with? He starts with the gospel. He starts with the gospel. You know, maybe us as Christians can learn something about that. When we are in conflict in our lives, what should we first do? We should run to the gospel. And why do I say that? Because if you run to the gospel, then you are running to Jesus. And so the Christian church in Rome is is being pulled apart. And at the very beginning, Paul is introducing the foundation to Christian belief, the gospel. And then he reassures that the Gentiles actually do, in fact, have a place in the family of God to be holy and set apart. And so, one, he starts with the foundation of the gospel. Two, he reassures the Gentile people that they do belong. And now maybe you're new to church and Christianity, or maybe you're on the fence, uh, spiritually unresolved, as a, a, a pastor in Billings calls it. Wherever you're your walk in walk is with Jesus you need to remember this and it's super important you need to understand that the gospel the gospel is what makes you a christian and if you forget the gospel then you do not deserve to be called a christian and so what what is the gospel let's see if you believe this gospel for yourself and we're going to use this. These are all points that I got from the scriptures we just read. The gospel was established through the prophets in the Old Testament, even before the coming of Jesus to the world. Point number two, Jesus was both 100% man through the lineage of King David and 100% God shown in the re- resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all people from every country, nation, and tongue are given access into the family of God to be set apart, including both Jew and Gentile. This is the gospel, that Jesus came, that Jesus lived a life here on earth, fully man and fully God, that he died on that cross and was resurrected for our sins to make us free from the bondage that held us down. Now, how could I simplify this even more so for you? The gospel is the good news that Jesus came, died, 
and resurrected, being fully man and fully God for our sins, giving all humanity, no matter their color, no matter their language, no matter their background, no matter if they're from the streets, from the house or the high tower, no matter if they're from jail, prison, or drug courts, they have access from the freedom. They have access to freedom from sin. They have access to freedom from sin and the opportunity to have eternal life. Eternal life. This is something that I talked about in my Bible study is the idea of eternal life. I think we forget this very often, church, is that death does not hold us down. If you call yourself a Christian, that means that Jesus has freed you from the bondage of death and you no longer need to fear it. You no longer need to fear it. Why? Because you know that the minute you exit life, you are back with the king. You're in his presence. That there will be no sorrow, there will be no fear, but there will be no tears even. But you will know only the glory of God. That is the good news. That is the good news, that all people have access to this Jesus. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. Amen. All people have access to this church. Whether it's from Africa to Mexico to America to China, it does not matter. Jesus sees them as worthy and valuable. And what Paul was doing, what Paul was doing was he was trying to unify the church, not for his own purposes, so that the world could see that Jesus, Jesus is the only way that humanity can be unified for true purpose. Something that I really want to make clear, because the gospel gets mixed in different things nowadays. It gets mixed in the politics. It gets mixed in the health issues. It gets mixed in the things of life. I want you to understand that the gospel, the gospel is much more than just to be used by your own purposes. You see, the gospel continues, it begins, and it ends with Jesus. And so if you're mixing different things in the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. It is no longer the gospel. A lot of people like to pull different things from the world and make it their gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus. If the gospel that you follow means that you have fear, it is not the gospel. If the gospel that you follow means that you need to live in anxiety, that is not the gospel. If the gospel that you follow means that you fear death, that is not the gospel. If the gospel that you follow means that you are held bondage to sin, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Let me be honest to you. My parents are here and uh, these two people, good-looking people, right? Amen. So their good-lookingness combined it to me, and it doubled. So, <laughs> <laughs> Tim, 
get out. <laughs> I also have some family friends, Dave and Sydney, just moved here. Um, perfect timing, right? The negative 16 weather, they moved here. And so Dave and Cindy right here in the, in the front row, they'd known me since I was a little tiny baby, actually. And so I'm glad that they're here. This is their first time here at Hope Center, and uh, I'm just glad to have them here. And so I grew up in a Christian home. They, they all four could tell you that. I grew up in a good Christian home. And I want you to understand something, that even I lost sight of the gospel sometimes. That even I, as a pastor's kid, as a missionary's kid that grew up in a good household, in a good church, lost sight of the gospel. And what does that mean, that I lost sight of Jesus? Now, why do I tell you that? Why, why am I being vulnerable with this? Is because I want you to know that no one, no one is immune to losing focus on Jesus. No one. Even I. Even I. I am human, too. Just because I'm a pastor does not mean that I don't lose focus on Jesus, right? But the good thing is that although none of us are immune to losing focus on Jesus, he gives us chance after chance after chance after chance, and double that by 70 times 70, and still you have more chances. I like to think of it as a camera, right? You have a camera on your phone or you take pictures and you try to uh, focus on an object, right? And so there was a time when I was traveling with my parents where I like to take pictures of insects. And so like spiders and things, you know, they're tiny. They're super small. But when I, what I realized was when you focused on them, you saw all the detail and you saw all the colors that were beautiful that God put there, Right? And so I want you to imagine you have this lens, and you're trying to take a picture, right? And let's, for example, you're trying to take a picture of my laptop, and you're at all these different angles, right? And you're trying to take a picture, but it's out of focus. You ever had that problem before in your camera? I mean, you're trying to focus in, and it's not focusing, and then you try portrait mode, and it's focusing on the background. I mean, problem after problem, right? And so you're trying to focus on the object, and so you go a little further, still not working. You try to come in a little closer, still not working, right? You see, why I say this is because this is like with Jesus. You are in control of the camera to have the clarity of who Jesus is. And many times in your life, you're just trying to get that focus. You're just trying to get a clear picture of who Jesus is. And time after time again, just like when you're trying to take a picture, when you're trying time after time again to get the clear picture, Jesus gives you chance after chance after chance to fully understand, to fully understand what it means to be free from sin and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Again, that is the good news. The good news is that you're free. The good news is that sin no longer holds you down. The good news is that you have a second chance. The good news is that the gospel does not divide but unifies. I want to make it clear that I know that throughout history, the gospel has been used to segregate, 
The gospel has been used to murder. The gospel has been used to uh, take people from their houses. The gospel has been used to manipulate, to differentiate, to outcast. Again, that is not my gospel. And that is not your gospel either. In Romans 1, 8 through 13, it says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. And so why do I put this in there? It doesn't have a lot to do with the gospel, but it has a lot to do with Paul's heart, right? And so Paul did not want to write the letter to the Roman church because he felt like it, but he had a deep desire to visit them, to be encouraged by their faith, and to make it clear that he intended to visit, and he prayed many, many times for them. The book of Romans was born out of Paul's immense want to visit the Roman church, but unfortunately, due to some some circumstances, was unsure if he'd ever get the chance to, to see the church for himself. So he wrote this letter in order that the Roman church may unify, strengthen, and even expand, even if he hadn't had the chance to be there in person. And so Paul didn't know if he was ever going to see the Roman church for himself. And so he wrote the, the letter of Romans as a way to expand his love to them, to show them that he knew that they were there, that they're existent, and that he was going to uh, empower them and propel them to the next stage. When I was in New York, I have to be honest, it was, it was an awesome time. The churches are different. The churches are different. Um, I had to get used to going from an hour to two hours again, <laughs> right? It is different. And as you can see now, I'm almost at my time, and I'm almost not finished. So in my, <laughs> I guess New York affected me somehow, right? Um, but something that I always had in the back of my mind was I miss my church. I miss my church. I miss my church. And as I was in that church worshiping for myself and preaching for myself, all I could be remember, all can I, I could remember was my church. All I could remember was to pray for my church, to pray for the staff, to pray for everyone here in this room. All I could remember was that. Now, just as Paul, how he 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 wanted to show his church that they were import, that this church was important that they had um, potential, is how I feel towards you guys. I really, really feel that Hope Center is small, but we are mighty. And what makes us mighty, it's not that we have 
strong people, it's that we have people that know their gospel. We are small, but we are mighty. I went to that church, and there was more, almost 300 people, and still I felt that this church was mighty and mighty and mighty. When I think about Hope Center, I think of mighty. It's negative 16, guys, and I still have people here. You are mighty. And what I hope is that as we go through this series, as we're in one service, I hope, I hope, and I hope, and I pray that we become mightier. I never want to stop at mighty. I want to get mightier and mightier and mightier because I want every person to be used by God, not just me. Paul wanted the Roman church to be used by God. He didn't want to just be used by God. He wanted the Roman church to be used by God. Now, Pastor Jared is probably saying, man, get off of here. You're almost at your time. I'm almost done, okay? Hang in there. One service, longer service, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I, I try not to be this long later. Okay, Romans 1, 14 through 18, it says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to both the wise and the foolish, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God Amen. that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Three phrases that are important in this verse is for you. Is Paul said three things. I am obligated. Number two, I am eager. And number three, I am unashamed. And what I want for you, church, to do is to live a life where you are obligated to God, where you're eager for everyone to hear the name of Jesus and where you are not ashamed of your sin, of your background, or your past. That's what I want for you. With these three words paired with the mission of God, Paul was able to write one of the most profound pieces of literature in all the world. But how? But how? Because the gospel, because the gospel, which is the power of God that reveals the righteousness of God, which means that God does what he says he's going to do. What does righteousness mean? When God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And so when God says he's going to free you from bondage, what does that mean? He's going to do it. When he says that your family will be healed, what does that mean? It means he will do it. When God says that the world will be unified under his name, what will happen? It will happen. And when in Revelation, when it says every nation and tongue will be praising his name in heaven, what does that mean? That no matter what, how dark this world gets, it will happen. It will happen. And whether, and whether you lose focus to the gospel or not, God will continue to do his work. And God will continue to keep his word. 
And so when he says people will unify, people will unify. When he says death is no longer, death is no longer. When he says sin has been crushed, it is crushed. And the reason why Paul was able to write the Roman letter so profoundly was because he stayed focused on the gospel. And what that means is he stayed focused on Jesus. When you're upset at work, what should you do? Stay focused on Jesus. When you are mourning and you're sorrowful and you feel as though the world is crushing you, what should you remember? To stay focused on Jesus. When you fear death because death is around you, what should you remember? Stay focused on Jesus. When you are anxious about things that are not to come, but you believe it's going to, you have to stay focused on Jesus. It says that God is on your side and that he knows what's good for you. And so when the world seems like it's crushing you, like I felt this week, you have to be reminded that it's not the world that you cling to, but it's Jesus. We as Christians have an obligation to Jesus to be eager to see the gospel spread to all people unashamed of the sin that once held us hostage through Jesus' death and resurrection. The God's strategy then, revealed through the purposes of the letter of Romans, shown in Romans 1, 1 through 17 that we read today, is to clarify the gospel, to unify his people, and to prove that his word means he will get it done. And what that means is that he has never changed from beginning to end. And everything that he said he's going to do from beginning to end will be done. An amazing thing is the man that was propelling the church to a whole new level at this time was a man that once persecuted the church, that once killed Christians, that was standing there when Stephen was stoned. And now God had put once a murderer at the forefront of the expansion of the church. Not because he just wanted to, but because he knew that Paul's testimony is a testimony of the power of Jesus. And not only is it a testimony to the power of Jesus, but it's a testimony to the world that was yet to experience the power of Jesus. Now I'll leave you with this. If you call yourself a Christian, you have the power of Jesus within you. And if you have the power of Jesus within you, the past is the past, and the, and the future is the future. Stop looking to the past. Stop letting it hold you down. Stop letting it hold you bonded. Stop letting it be the weight that holds you down from propelling into God. God says, I don't see the past. I see where you're going. I see where you're going. The God's strategy, I hope that as we go through this series, the God's strategy that is shown in Romans, that you'll be able to see the God's strategy within your own life. That you see these little moments in your life when people came out of nowhere 
and it was Jesus in that moment to you. That you'll see the person that spoke few words that meant immensely to you. That the person that held a hand out to you that meant so much was all Jesus, was all God being strategic to get you to him. As we go through this series, I hope that you would be challenged, changed, and that you will begin to see how God from beginning to end has had a strategy at play to get you to see his face. Let's pray.